This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A major step in BC's restart plan. The data shows us that we are in a good position right now. Loosening restrictions and the COVID variant we still have to watch. New freedom for bars and restaurants. If you're looking for a job, we'd love to have you come in and interview. The worker shortage serving up trouble in a recovering industry. And Vancouver puts vehicle owners on notice. The goal of this program is really to encourage people to buy zero emission or low emission vehicles. The pollution surcharge that could add hundreds to the cost of car ownership. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Starting tomorrow, BC is moving to phase two of the province's restart plan. Vaccinations were key to this step and health officials say we are on track to safely and confidently move forward. Richard Zussman joins us live with the details. Richard, what will be changing tomorrow? It's very quiet here, Sophie, and Victoria's inner harbor. But the hope for this city and all the cities across British Columbia is that is about to change. Taking the next step. We're going to be seeing more people that we care about, visiting more places that we want to go and see. As of Tuesday, British Columbia moves into step two. This is what that means. A thumbs up for British Columbians to travel across the province. But the government's still asking people not to travel in and out of BC for non-essential reasons. We want to make sure that non-essential travel from other provinces, for example, remains in place and we're going to continue to monitor that. Social circles can grow up to 50 people in a backyard for a birthday party or barbecue, playdates for kids, indoor things remain the same, up to five people or one household in your home. A reminder, moving to a post-COVID life will take some time. Not everybody wants to get back to, uh, uh, to uh, filled arena to watch the Canucks or, uh, or to go to, to a, a massive concert, uh, but a lot of people do. For organized gatherings, up to 50 people indoors. That means movies, plays, comedy, and even small events at banquet halls. But the two-step, or any other dancing, not during this step. This is to get us back into how do we do this safely? How do we um, build confidence in going back out and being with people in indoor spaces? High-intensity fitness is back with COVID plans and masks. Indoor sports can have up to 50 people for kids and adults. And outdoor sports can have up to 50 fans in the stands. We're still relying on our COVID safety plans, the ones that we've had in place and we've modified over time. But those plans are changing as well. The province looking at the post-COVID world, and by as early as this summer, fundamentally changing the way provinces prevent the spread of viruses. We're going to be transitioning from those COVID safety plans that we've been relying on to providing and guidance, guidance for employers for communicable disease safety plans. All right, Richard, BC has done very well when it comes to vaccines, particularly dose one. Does this mean we could get to step three any sooner than July 1st? 
It doesn't look like it, Sophie. The province says the plan they have set out is one that is the dimmer rather than flipping a switch. But it does look good to get to step three on July 1st if things continue. Yes, there are some factors out there, including variants. But right now, it's looking very good that by the beginning of July, we could be getting rid of those masks indoors, going back to social interaction in our homes and ending the provincial state of emergency. All right, sounds good. Thanks for that, Richard. And we'll talk about those variants in just a moment. But right now, the end of B.C.'s provincial travel restrictions comes just in time for hotels, restaurants and attractions to salvage the summer season. Many are reeling from a year of cancellations, cutbacks and even closures. And as John Waugh reports, even without visitors from the rest of Canada and around the world, the tourism industry is hoping tomorrow kickstarts the recovery. It was the signal it seems so many have been waiting for. Step two ends the current travel restrictions in British Columbia. Permission to enjoy recreational travel within this province, revealing the pent-up demand. It may have even pushed the BC Ferries website past its limit. We are experiencing a technical glitch with our website. It might be caused by an increase in volume. But the focus is on the stay in staycation. It's not a free-for-all for travelers wanting to visit from outside of B.C. Our advice to other Canadians is we're going to welcome you uh, down the road, but not today. For one of the sectors hardest hit by this pandemic, the message is to travel and spend local to keep their businesses alive. But the reality is, is that there just aren't that many visitors yet here to, to try to fill the boats. We, uh, we are, again, running at, at less than 20% capacity, so it's just, it's, it's tough. The other message, respect businesses and communities who might not be ready for this phase of the restart. Some people in some communities may not yet be ready to receive visitors or to have gatherings. So check before you go. While a surge in staycation bookings might be great news for many, certain destinations dependent on other types of travel are still left anxiously waiting with no dates on cruise ships coming back or borders being reopened. I think we're just shy of 5 million British Columbians. So even if all of us traveled this summer, um, we wouldn't make up for those international, uh, international trips. A provincial travel incentive program for those areas would be a welcome relief. I know that they need the help and incentives is one of them, but I just want to hear what the other ideas that they're looking for um, so we can get the money out the door to help with relief. Back at BC Ferries, more sailings will be added to accommodate the boost in demand. Now that recreational travel within BC is back on the books. John Hua, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the reopening plan when it comes to the border. So, Keith, did the Premier reveal anything about that today? Yes, indeed. The pressure is mounting on both uh, sides of the border. Federal governments to open this sometime in the summer. The tourism industry, as John just pointed out, struggling mightily. Don't want to lose a second season consecutively. Uh, the Premier again talking about it today. This will be the subject of a special phone call, virtual meeting uh, involving Premier Horgan and the other Premiers and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau later this week. We're opening the border and doing it safely is at the top of the agenda. But there's also a whole host of other work that needs to be done. Ambassador Hillman, the Canadian representative in Ottawa, and I talk regularly. We're scheduled to talk again this week. And on Thursday, uh, the Prime Minister has asked the Premiers to come together to talk about uh, reopening the borders, uh, land, sea and air. And, of course, uh, we're very interested in those discussions. We've been working on it uh, 
uh, quietly because, uh, you know, the, there is anxiety in the community. I know that. I feel that. And we want to make sure we're on the right track. Now, the Prime Minister and many others have suggested that you need two doses before you can go back and forth across the border. That's going to put Americans in a much more advantageous position than Canadians because they're about 45 percent double dose. In fact, Washington State is almost 50 percent with double doses. In Canada, we haven't cracked the 12 percent barrier yet, a little higher in B.C. It's going to take a, a, some time for us to get to two doses to any great effect. So it could be later in the summer for Canadians going south of the border, but perhaps Americans can start crossing earlier if the rule is two doses before you can come across. Now we'll see how that meeting goes then. Thanks very much, Keith. Fire up the barbecue and tidy up the backyard or forge ahead with that small outdoor wedding. Starting Tuesday, outdoor gatherings can be larger. The new rules give the green light to outdoor gatherings of up to 50 people. But even with the easing of restrictions, Dr. Bonnie Henry says people should still be cautious. This is gradually increasing our connections, our connectivity. And as the Premier says, we need to, to be mindful that not everybody's in the same boat right now. Um, if we have people who in our family who are going through cancer treatments or elderly people who are not yet comfortable, it's okay to say no to going to that family gathering or putting off a little bit longer um, getting together with friends or others. So everybody has to um, step back and take a look at where they are. If BC's COVID-19 numbers don't increase and immunizations continue to climb, outdoor gatherings would return to normal in phase three, which starts July 1st. Right now, it's looking pretty good. The COVID-19 numbers in this province, so we'll show those to you now. We have 277 new cases. And remember, that's for three counting periods. 68 is the lowest daily count since the end of September. Total cases for the province now stand at 146,453, with 1,537 of those cases active. Hospital numbers are also down, with 136 patients, 42 of them in the ICU. And sadly, we did lose four more people to complications of the virus. Well, one of the key reasons B.C. has been able to move into step two of the restart plan is vaccination rates. They have easily topped the threshold for easing restrictions and vaccine hesitancy is seeing a big drop. As Aaron MacArthur reports, that means we're on target for phase three of the reopening in just a matter of weeks. You're good with the left arm? More than 400,000 British Columbians rolled up their sleeves last week, some for the first time. BC inching closer to herd immunity. 75% of all eligible people have now received at least one shot. Our target immunization rates are at least 85, 90%. We would like to see it even higher. That number expected to keep rising. As people see the success of the public health campaign, fewer people are reporting any level of hesitancy towards vaccine. Of the people still to get a first dose, according to Insights West, 10% say they will absolutely get one. 5% say they're likely to get a shot. Only 8% of British Columbians unlikely or refusing to get a shot. And those are much smaller numbers than what we've seen in the past and really encouraging when we talk about that ever-elusive number of herd immunity. For the first time since vaccinations began, the need to get second doses out to the public won't be held up by supply. BC expected to be awash in vaccines for the rest of June. Pfizer continues to ship more than 300,000 doses a week. 
But now Moderna has stepped up its deliveries from its U.S. manufacturing plants. More than 900,000 doses expected in B.C. by the end of the month. And while the interval between shots has shrunk down to eight weeks, according to the government, demand means people might be waiting longer than that. The goal is to get invites out to people by um, week seven in particular, or week eight, so that you can get booked within the next week to two weeks. Pollsters say one of the things they will be studying over the next month is how strong demand will be for the booster shot. Despite an overall positive view from the public on the vaccination rollout, other countries' experiences have shown the uptake for that second shot is a much slower process. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, health officials are optimistic about BC's reopening schedule. They're also keeping a close eye on one concern that could derail everything, the Delta variant. As Ted Chernecki reports, while Dr. Bonnie Henry says we are in a better position to deal with it than the UK, for example, some experts still say we're not getting enough information from the province. Underlying all the good news are those pesky variants, and there are new variants morphing every day. While BC reopens, the UK is going the other way, imposing another month of restrictions because of a sudden spike in the Delta variant from India. So a lot of transmission that they're seeing right now in the UK is in people in their teens and and 20s and 30s. And we have very high immunization rates in those those age groups already. In recent weeks, BC's youth has really bought in and the percentage of those with at least one dose has soared. That vaccine is working at preventing all of the strains of virus that we're seeing circulating in British Columbia. So we'll continue to watch that. Also, in the UK, the vast majority of new cases is of the Delta variant. It's about 60 to 70 percent. So if you take 100 people that they are with COVID, 60 to 70 people will have the variant. Here, if, if we take, probably you will go about 10 or 15 or 20. So it's very low. But academics who try to project where COVID is going in B.C. say they're not getting the daily information from the province they need to create an accurate model. The province knows, but only shares on a weekly basis, how the variants break down in daily case counts. It's never been fantastic from B.C. In Alberta, if you go to their um, website, they have daily um, updates on the fraction of the cases that are of the different variants. In Ontario, they continue to do typing, and, and again, the data is by day. That's especially important with the Delta variant because it spreads much faster than other variants and the symptoms are different. Powerful head and stomach aches. Experts agree there are still many unknowns. Tetra Global News. It's a bittersweet moment for bars and restaurants. Step two eases some restrictions, but just because they're open for business doesn't mean they're ready to serve. The all-out hiring blitz to find enough staff. Next on the News Hour. A toxic mystery in a Richmond park with devastating consequences to the local squirrel population. That's coming up on the News Hour. And a BC builder's big idea for tiny homes. A look at how much he's packing into only 72 square feet later. Right now, though, after months of limited operations, BC's restaurants and bars have been eagerly awaiting the return of more in person dining, longer hours, and hopefully profitability. But as the Matagahi reports, even though they've had three weeks to prepare for part two of reopening, many eateries say it has been a challenge to hire the staff they're hoping they'll need. 
Turning on the music. They've got to get used to that again at the junction on Vancouver's Davie Street because starting tomorrow, things are looking up. It's the next step. We've been waiting for it. Phase two of BC's reopening has been a long time coming for bars and restaurants. For the first time since early September, they can serve alcohol past 10 p.m. The last call is now midnight. Two hours is not a lot, but two hours make a big uh, change in the shifts that are allowed and, and staff being able to be uh, uh, to earn more in the process and be on the floor. The economic woes of the pandemic hit this industry almost from the word go. It's estimated that 15% of bars, restaurants and pubs in the province didn't make it this far. For those of us who have been able to make it through, today's a really exciting day. Uh, and it's the first step towards actual recovery, right? We haven't won the battle yet, but it's starting to feel like it. But just as restrictions are easing and customers are expected to flow back in, there's a new problem, a labor shortage. A quick search on Indeed might leave a job seeker overwhelmed with options. The past couple of weeks, it's actually hindered reopening of indoor dining because there's not been enough people knocking on our doors looking for jobs. Across town on Main Street, the American is certainly one of those bars looking to hire. To be fully honest, um, I don't think we have enough staff at the moment, but I think that's an industry-wide problem, I would say. Um, So many people that I worked with over the years that were full-time servers, bartenders and managers, they had to go and do other things. Its manager, Bo Haraldson, says navigating the previous 15 months required every ounce of creativity and experience he had gained in 15 years of hospitality work. It's been a challenge, but we're getting through it, and I'm most looking forward to just more predictable consistency in the way we run our business. The next thing bars and restaurants are eager to see, perhaps on July 1st, is the end to the six-person-per-table limit. Amadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, Vancouver proposes a new fee for street parking. I think the public is going to see this more as a money grab. How much the city's climate action plan could cost drivers next. Also tonight, don't wait until it's too late. How it pays off in many ways when you make a will. Well, the city of Vancouver has released more details of its climate emergency plan and what it could end up costing you. In an effort to reduce carbon emissions, free parking in front of your home would be a thing of the past. And the penalty for gas-guzzling vehicles could hit $1,000 a year. Grace Key reports. Vancouver is looking at a citywide parking permit. And if you park your car overnight on your residential street, this would affect you. The proposed climate emergency parking program is part of the city's goal to reduce carbon emissions 50% by 2030. The Climate Emergency Action Plan will dramatically reduce our emissions. There's a proposed annual pollution charge. But if you already own a car or if you have a wheelchair specialized vehicle, you're exempt. There's no charge if you have an electric or low-polluting new car. But if you buy a 2023 or newer gas-fueled sporty sedan or small SUV, it'll cost you $500 a year. A new luxury sports car, large SUV, or full-size pickup, $1,000. BC is already the leader in electric vehicle sales, having the highest uptake rates in North America. But it's not enough right now um, to, to meet our climate emergency targets. Um, So the goal of this program is to shift uh, behavior even further by incentivizing uh, people to buy low emission vehicles when they're purchasing a new vehicle. 
The annual pollution charge is added to the cost of a parking permit. If your street doesn't have one, then you'll be getting an overnight residential parking permit. Base fee, possibly $45 a year. And it affects you if you park your car overnight between 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. Overnight visitors pay $3 a night. This is going to create more inequities and affordability issues and particularly target people who can least afford it, particularly individuals who don't have access to off-street parking, renters, people who may need a vehicle because they're caregivers, because they're tradespeople. The overnight permit is needed to implement the pollution charge and fund green initiatives. Rates could generate $60 million over four years. For the next three weeks, the city wants to know what you think. This goes to council for a vote in the fall. Grace Key, Global News. It's a topic many of us avoid talking about, but making a will is a critical conversation to have, and it could save your loved ones unnecessary time and stress after you pass away. That's right. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on what you need to do before it's too late. And Thanks, Chris. 55% of British Columbians don't have a valid will. While it's an uncomfortable subject, legal experts say it's important to plan for the future. If you don't make a will, your estate will be distributed according to provincial legislation. The top things to consider when making a will, the distribution of assets, including property, according to your wishes. Think about beneficiaries or who you want to leave your estate to. You'll also want to choose an executor, the person who manages the estate or a trustee to run the trust that your will creates. If you have children under 19 in BC, make sure to appoint a guardian and put money in trust so it can be used to provide for their needs in the future. And finally, make funeral arrangements. It's probably one of the most important legal documents that anyone uh, can, can draft because you've, you've spent a lifetime accumulating your wealth. Uh, you've got your children, uh, you've got your property, and without a valid will, you can't plan for the succession of those assets. Uh, the ultimate uh, tragedy, if you want, for people who don't make a will is if they don't have all the people uh, under WESA that would automatically get inheritances, then the estate gets something called escheats, uh, and that means that everything goes to the government and none of your friends or, or other beneficiaries will get anything from your estate. Now, a standard will without too many complications costs four to $600. That price will increase if you have a lot of beneficiaries or if a trustee is appointed to manage your assets. Under BC's wills, Estates and Succession Act, judges can, if necessary, interpret the will to better ensure a person's dying wishes are carried out. It's also intended to protect vulnerable people. And with our aging population, lawyers say it's also important to consider an enduring power of attorney, especially if you have family members living with Alzheimer's or dementia. It's a legal document that gives one person the authority to manage your money and property on your behalf. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thank you, Anne. Coming up, upgrading charges against the London attacker. It may simply also be that the evidence is overwhelming. Why the count of terrorism could be an added challenge for prosecutors. And the search for evidence of atrocities at the former site of a residential school in Williams Lake. Terrorism charges have been laid against Nathaniel Veltman, the suspect accused of killing four members of a London, Ontario family. Police have alleged it was a planned and premeditated act against Muslims. Global's Catherine McDonald has the latest from the court 
and what that terrorism charge means. Nathaniel Veltman looked relaxed, appearing virtually from jail as federal prosecutors announced that his charges related to four counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder were being upgraded. To include that in addition to being planned and deliberate, they also constitute terrorism offenses. Charging terrorist activity ups the burden on prosecutors, makes it more challenging because they do have to prove that motive element and an intent element beyond a reasonable doubt. This counterterrorism expert says it's only the third time in Canada, all in Ontario, that a murder charge involving terrorism has been laid. The prosecution must prove ideological, religious or political intent, something Professor West says Canada abhors and wants to denounce. I think the calculus has uh, shifted. It may simply also be that the evidence is overwhelming in this case, that there's no question Police say the 20-year-old accused was wearing body armor and a helmet at the time of his arrest on June 6th. For some in the Muslim community, as well as other communities, uh, this perception that terrorism only applies to them uh, is, is quite prevalent. This security expert says it's important that charges reflect what police allege, that the Afzal family was struck and killed by the lone driver of a pickup truck who targeted them because they were Muslim. Charges being brought against these different kinds of attacks is is quite important for uh, community perception anyway. A spokesperson for the Afzal family says that nine-year-old Fayez has been released from hospital and is surrounded by loved ones. Their concerns is that Islamophobia be addressed, saying the attack has caused so much fear people are not comfortable wearing hijabs. And from that perspective, terrorism charges make sense. Situations that um, require the usage of provisions like the ones that were invoked today need to be invoked uh, where it's proportional and reasonable to do so. Veltman will be back in court next Monday. Catherine McDonald, Global News. The man and woman accused in the hit and run death of a Saskatoon RCMP officer have made their first court, court appearances. Alphonse Traverse and Marlene Paget, both from Winnipeg, are charged with manslaughter in the death of Constable Shelby Patton. The 26-year-old was killed when he pulled over the couple for allegedly stealing a vehicle. He was hit by the truck and died at the scene. Traverse and Paget have been remanded into custody. She is set to appear in court again on Friday. His next court date is set for Monday. After recent revelations in Kamloops, the Williams Lake First Nation is planning to launch a search of a former residential school there. The St. Joseph's Mission Residential School operated from 1886 to 1981 and has since been torn down. The First Nation is now launching a survey of the land surrounding the former school site using the same ground-penetrating radar technology used in Kamloops to discover the unmarked graves of as many as 215 children. You want to say that you're not going to find anything, but judging by the stories, I mean, we are, and that's just a reality. And I continue to hear the stories and, and, and get shown maps and be pointed out on where these uh, areas are that we want to test right away but uh, making sure that we're approaching it strategically and coordinated so we're not fumbling around and, 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 you know, again, falling back on ceremony, falling back on making sure the supports are in place um, for those people that are, that are going to be working on the front lines and in our community that are going to be struggling if something is to be found. Earlier this month, the federal government pledged to immediately distribute $27 million in funding to assist Indigenous communities in locating children who died at residential schools. 
Police in West Kelowna are investigating the discovery of a woman's body this afternoon. Police say the woman's remains were found in a truck parked in the 2500 block of Main Street. The BC Coroner Service is also investigating to determine how, where and when the woman died. But police say they do not believe there's a risk to the public. So far, no names have been released. A disturbing discovery in a popular Richmond family park has RCMP issuing a warning about a toxic substance dangerous to people and animals. Some areas of South Arm Park were cordoned off last week after a number of dead and sick squirrels were found. Testing discovered that one octanethiol, a compound used in the production of other chemicals, was scattered around several trees in the park. The affected areas were decontaminated and secured. We came to this squirrel that was just sitting there and, and usually they run away from us, right? So we went to it and tried to climb the tree and he couldn't. And we, we thought, well, there's something wrong. Then we walked further down and there was a squirrel that a lady had put in a box. He was breathing, but barely. It's really fortunate that no people or, um, uh, you know, pets were, were injured during this. You know, it's really unfortunate that, uh, unfortunately, some wildlife, you know, were harmed by it. But we're lucky that uh, this resident recognized that something wasn't right and called it in. RCMP say no other incidents have been reported, but they are urging people to keep an eye out for unusual activity or anything suspicious including multiple dead or sick wildlife in a concentrated area. They're still not sure if the substance was placed deliberately in certain locations or simply dumped in the park. In Health Matters tonight, a new survey has some interesting updates on Canadians' attitudes about pandemic travel and one slightly disturbing one. The study by the Travel Health Insurance Association of Canada found that 40% of Canadians believe the federal government should remove travel advisories to the U.S. and reopen the border to make travel to America easier. And a lot of Canadians want to head south. The survey found the U.S. is the top destination, 37% say it's the first place they plan to go. Nearly one-third of unvaccinated Canadians say they would get their shots if they were required for travel. But somewhat troubling, one in five, 20%, say they would lie about their vaccination status in order to travel. Still to come, tiny homes with huge potential. It was really to just see how small we could go the brains behind this big idea to get us to live small and why he calls it Yocto. And pop another bottle, how an Okanagan company is putting old corks to good use. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A temporary pop-up plaza has just opened in a parking lot at Sunset Beach. To make things even more fun, two <laughs> ping-pong tables are going to be installed in July. The enhanced outdoor space provides people with a healthy, social and safe environment to reconnect 
As the community recovers from the pandemic, the plaza will remain open through 2021 and if successful, might even go on even longer than that. So here's what I need to know. Yeah. Where do you get the ping pong paddles? Or do you bring your own? Like do people hmm. just have ping pong paddles at the ready? That's a good question. I know there are some are ping pong them? tables, public ping pong tables over by Empire Fields. Yeah, and where do you, is you there like bring a, your own what? there, I think. <laughs> good luck keeping track of those balls. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they must be all over the place. All right, uh, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Looks, it looks fairly bright out there right now, Christy. It sure is, Sophie, and uh, I'll keep that in mind for your next birthday present. Ping pong rackets and balls. Uh, You can see the sunshine behind me, certainly, but that wasn't the case across all regions. Today, there was uh, rainfall out through the Fraser Valley, East Metro Vancouver, and thunderstorms. Check out the severe thunderstorm watches that remain in effect. It's for the Caribou Central Interior, so the area is highlighted in yellow, and warnings off through Alberta and Saskatchewan. Now, the one area I really want you to focus in on is that Okanagan Valley, Columbia, Kootenai region. I think the Caribou Central Interior regions will see the severe thunderstorm watch in uh, um, end as we head through the late evening hours, but not for the areas in through the south. We've got a band of heavy rain expected there. Embedded in that rain will be thunderstorms. So a very stormy night, that's for sure, in these areas here. It shifts off in through Alberta as we head into the morning hours. Still instability expected across the rest of the province, but becomes much more spottier tomorrow compared to that very heavy band expected over night there. Uh, And then we're going to be watching the northeastern corner on Wednesday. Heavy rain expected through the BC Peace River area. A special weather statement is out for you as you're expecting potentially up to 50 millimeters of rain. But in the meantime, there's your Tuesday with that risk of thunderstorms all the way from the north right through the south tomorrow. So instability in play with mild conditions. And that's the case across the south coast also. Much spottier conditions expected, but still risk of thunderstorms. And we could have a few thunderstorms overnight as well. Wednesday's a transition day. We have a few showers in the forecast for the morning hours and then it looks like we're setting ourselves up for a terrific stretch of weather late Wednesday through Sunday. So get ready for sunshine and heat everyone. Although I have to say the rain has been welcome. We've needed over the last little while. Beautiful shot from Barkley Sound. Thank you so much to Sheldon Mack for that action shot. Well done Sheldon. All right guys back to you. Wonder what, it, what he was going in for dinner. I'm assuming. <laughs> I would bet. <laughs> All right, thanks, Christy. Well, not much can beat opening up a bottle of BC wine on a hot summer's day. That's right. Now people in the central Okanagan can test out a new pilot project that aims to keep all of those corks, natural corks, out of the landfill. Global Sydney Morton has more on the eco-friendly alternative. It's a familiar sound in the Okanagan. Now, indulging in the fruits of the valley is that much sweeter because of a pilot program that is a partnership with Returnit and Soul, a company that makes eco-friendly cork footwear. This hasn't really been done before, where you've tried to collect uh, cork through a public collection site like a depot on a large scale. So I think we're kind of going into it um, not really knowing what to expect. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, the um, the ultimate objective of keeping this material out of landfill. Right now, the only return at location collecting natural wine corks is in West Kelowna at the Boucherie Self-Storage and Bottle. Then they are sent to Recork, a natural wine cork recycling program run by Seoul, where they repurpose the material to become an eco-friendly alternative. Cork is a great material. Um, you know, it's natural. It's actually carbon negative material. 
and it can be repurposed and in this case into new consumer items like footwear. Uh, where it can replace petroleum-based foams and plastics. All footwear is made from between 22 and 60 recycled wine corks. ReCork has been collecting wine corks since 2008 and has since collected thousands of corks. By using recycled cork, we're prolonging the life of this, you know, sustainable, versatile material. Um, and in addition, it has some benefits. It's environmentally friendly, it's naturally elastic. It's moisture wicking, naturally antimicrobial, um, meaning odor reducing and insulating. The pilot program will run until December, and if it's successful, the program will be expanded across the province. Sydney Morton, Global News, West Kelowna. I'd be happy to help them. There's, you know what, there's a non-stop supply in the Okanagan, so that's... That's true. That's lots of flip-flops. <laughs> uh, okay, great news about Canadian football. Squire is here now with a look ahead. Yes, after missing all of last season, it'll start on, I was going to say October, but it won't start in October, it'll start on August the 5th. Lions coach Rick Campbell can't wait. I think you're going to see a very enthusiastic group, um, players, coaches, everybody just to get back out there. So training camp is next month in Kamloops and they'll play football then in August for the first time since 2019. That'll be great to see them back on the field. And home sweet home, but smaller. How you can still live large in only 72 square feet. Special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. So happy for the CFL Squire. Well, it's about time because I think when it came to the pandemic, no professional sports league in North America got hit quite as hard as the Canadian Football League. They couldn't play last year at all. All the other leagues were able to have bubbles or play in front of empty stadiums. But the CFL, it needs fans in the stands to make it worth their while to play. And with COVID numbers going down and the chances of fans being allowed back in stadiums, the commissioner announced today that the CFL will start a 14-game season on August the 5th. Well, to say uh, this is... Uh a happy day for the CFL is a monumental understatement. Obviously, we've been all been waiting for this for a long time. It's been 19 months since the BC Lions last played a football game. But come August the 5th, it's game on for the Canadian Football League and its abbreviated 14-game season. I'm just uh, so glad for our fans and our players and our partners and our staff that... Uh, we're finally uh, going to hit the field in August, and, and we're quite excited about it. So we're ready to go to training camp in Kamloops in July and then uh, back into BC Place in, uh, when the schedule starts. BC Lions players will start showing up in town in a few weeks. Those already here in Canada will be required to quarantine at home for seven days prior to training camp. Lions players arriving from the States will do their seven-day quarantine in Kamloops. After a year and a half of going through the motions, the start of camp can't come quick enough for these guys. It doesn't matter how hard you prepare. It's nothing's the same when you have uh, you know, another 300-pound body going against you. So it's, it's definitely still going to take some time. But you know, as far as like running and condition-wise and 
everybody's ready to go, but that right there always takes a little bit of time. It's one thing to be excited about playing again, but being 100% fit and in football game shape, quite another, especially coming off such a lengthy absence. By the time the Lions return to Kamloops to open up training camp, two full years will have passed since their last camp. And remember, this season, there's no exhibition games prior to the regular season starting. You know, we're going to be smart about um, you know how we ramp up but we gotta we're really gonna have to make the most of of each practice yeah it, it'll be nice just getting that first little bit of hitting in and just getting used to it again it's a it's like a love hate with the football right you don't want to get hit but then once you do you're like oh this is what i do and this is what i'm used to so i think once uh the pads come on you start banging a little bit then uh, everything changes and you realize that you're in the football season and uh you're just ready to get after it it always looked like Vegas got the lighting crew from Pink Floyd to work the pregame shows. Anyway, it's Vegas and Montreal and Alexander Romanov throwing hits and Alex Petrangelo. But this is uh, Langley-born Shea Theodore scoring the first goal of the series. It's been a while since the Canadians have been trailing in a game. one nothing Vegas late in the first period. Now, you uh, knew Gerard Gallant would eventually get back to coaching in the NHL, and he is. The Rangers apparently have signed him. It's not official yet, but that's the story. They signed him up after he led Canada to a gold medal at the World Hockey Championships. And, of course, Gallant was the guy who led a first-year team in Vegas to the Stanley Cup final against Washington. And Vegas still plays the style Gerard Gallant taught them, even though he's not coaching them anymore. All right, to a Euro 2020 in 2021. There's Scotland back in Euro against the Czech Republic. Watch this goal. From a long way away, Patrick Schick. This will take the air out of anybody's bagpipe. That made it 2-0, and that's the way it would end as Scotland, in their return, loses to the Czech Republic. But there's more games for Scotland. Robert Lewandowski in Poland against Slovakia. Tied 1-1, but Poland down a man because of a red card. Milan Skriniar will score what proves to be the winning goal. 2-1 for Slovakia over Poland. And the game between Sweden and Spain, well, there were no goals at all. Nice save there by Robin Olsen, the Swedish keeper. Alexander Isak of Sweden almost scored here. Watch, off the defender. Off the post, right back to the keeper. 0-0 final, Spain and Sweden. This is the America Cup of Women's Basketball. Canada, El Salvador, El Salvador make that. It's a good tune-up for Canada's women for the Olympics. And this is Aislinn Koenig. Brookswood grad. The three-pointer there. Shayna Pellington. Great NCAA player. She had 21 points off the bench. Coney, incidentally, had 14 as Canada wins this easy over El Salvador and is now 3-0 at the tournament. And our women's soccer team played a friendly against Brazil, and the final was 0-0. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the home that'll only cost you 25000 if you can fit inside it. Well, we've heard a lot lately about tiny homes as a partial solution to homelessness and affordability problems. But a Maple Ridge builder is taking it to a new level. He has put an awful lot into a little package. Kylie Stanton takes us on a tour of the new home option that's not much bigger than a closet. Water heater, bed, kitchen, with fridge, with stove, sink. 
It not only fits. It has a residential toilet, residential shower. It actually functions, flipping the idea of go big or go home on its head. It was really to just see how small we could go and generate interest to have people come have a look. John Anjo managed to get all of this into just 72 square feet, making it the smallest home in Canada, appropriately named the Yocto. Yocto is the smallest term of measurement. It's actually 10 to the negative 29. Anjo, who has worked in the housing industry for 25 years, got the idea designing portable workspaces, a way to meet the demand for home offices during the pandemic. I said, as we're making it already, I'm going to take up a little design challenge for myself. While it started out as a novelty project, Anjo quickly realized its potential. A space for students living in their parents' house, remote vacation rentals, or even a writing cabin. You couldn't raise a family in it, but it, it's actually quite comfortable for, for a single person. Bug is a bug in a rug. Coming in under 10 square meters, the tiny homes don't need a build permit. They do, however, require zoning for an auxiliary dwelling in order to be considered legal. After that, all you need is a plug, a septic tank, and a garden hose, and your home sweet home. There's actually a market for it. There's a lot of interest in it. With only a two-and-a-half-week turnaround and a price point of just under $25,000, the Yocto is full of surprises. So everything you see in there comes with it. But the fact a home this tiny is even possible may be the biggest achievement of all. We did it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. I hadn't thought about it until now, but yeah, Chris, you might have some problems in there. It didn't look like there was a ton of room to stretch out on the bed there, but uh, look, as oh, long come as, on. as, long as that, it's got headroom. That thing is spacious. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Coming from Squire. Yeah. <laughs> For you and me, it is Squire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a mansion. Super cute and cozy. I love it. All right. Uh, last word on weather mm-hmm. from Christy. And it looks like things are improving a little bit this week. And they certainly are. So we really just have to get through the next 24, 36 hours. So tomorrow, number of showers still in the forecast, a risk of thunderstorms, a little bit of instability, especially overnight tonight. For those of you in the interior from the Okanagan Valley, right through Columbia, Kootenai region, a stormy night for you. All right. Let's hope no wildfires. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.